The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. What if you truly knew what you love to do and what you're good at? Those are the first two steps of Ikigai. Hey, everyone. From LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. So Tim Tomashiro is the author of How to Ikigai. Yes, it's pronounced Ikigai, if you've heard of it before. He talks about lessons for finding happiness and living your life's purpose. I heard about Ikigai years ago in passing. I'd seen this chart that was like a four-circled Venn diagram espousing that if we could all simply do what we love, what we're skilled at, what the world needs, and what we can be paid for, we'd be living our life's purpose. So that kind of caught me. I was like, wow, I want to do that. And I danced around the edges of Ikigai simply using the Venn diagram as a way to filter and catch my dreams, wondering if any of this could actually happen. It felt like a thing that was unique and almost impossible. But as my curiosity grew, I later learned that this model was a simplification for an ancient and really powerful way of approaching meaning in life that originated from Okinawa, Japan, where they happen to have some of the world's oldest people that are called centenarians. They're people who live beyond 100 years old, and they associate much of that with ikigai. We're trained by the people around us, by the media, and by so many external forces that our meaning is associated with things like the amount of recognition we get, the popularity we carry, the money we have, all things that we get to have for a period, but we know just aren't enough. They're all fleeting. At the end of the day, all we have is ourselves and our relationships. So I wanted to learn the depths of Ikigai and share them with you. Tim's version of Ikigai asks us to get better at investigating our inner world, to find what we love, to investigate its place in our lives and in the world, and to figure out what reward, not pay, looks like for it. And he and so many other people in this world of Ikigai and positive psychology say this is the way we live long, meaningful, and deeply fulfilling lives. Here's Tim. My intention is to bring delight to people uh, so that they can have a better understanding of, of what it is that their gifts are so that they can utilize them on a regular basis. You know, Ikigai is a fascinating concept that is still relatively unknown throughout the world. But there was a time when another concept from Okinawa called karate wasn't all that well known. So I'm hoping that maybe Ikigai can become much more of a household term and an action that people can put into place on a regular basis. Tell me, though, about Ikigai for people who are going, what is this concept and why should I invest time learning about it? Yeah, you know, I think that there's uh, two imperative questions that we have to answer in our lifetimes. And the first one we spend a lot of time on, and it's probably pretty obvious. Will I find love? 
And the other question is, why was I born, essentially? And uh, Ikigai is a lifestyle from Okinawa that helps us understand that process. Maybe what I could do is just describe to you where the concept of Ikigai came from, and maybe that's going to help people understand that. And maybe you could also describe what a centenarian is, because that was a big part of when I first started researching it. I went, oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. A centenarian is uh, somebody who is uh, 100 years old. And uh, in, in Okinawa, and specifically in a community called Ogimi, there are many, many people over 100 years old. In fact, that's kind of their philosophy in life that says that if you come, death, if you come for me at 80, I'm just a child. You know, if you come for me at 90, I'm not ready yet, you know. But after 100, um, that's uh, that might be the time that's uh, where I'm ready sort of thing. But uh, in Okinawa, it was uh, Ikigai came from a group of very wise women who would gather at the shores every day. And uh, they're called ama divers. They would go and gather at the shores and have big wooden tubs. And uh, you can imagine them every morning going and getting, getting together and having a little visit and a little kibitz and, and uh, having some laughter and all that kind of stuff. Well, we better get to work. And then pushing these big wooden tubs out into the ocean and then diving down to the bottom of the ocean, sometimes as deep as 80 feet, to gather things for them to eat and for them to share with their community. So they'd scoop down and grab a sea cucumber or an oyster or or some sort of a crustacean and be a swim back up to the surface and pop it into their bathtub or into their tubs. And uh, and they got very, very good at it. You know, sometimes they could hold their breath for up to up to, you know, three, four minutes at a time. Like they're very gifted at it. And they would do this for their entire lives. You know, some ama divers were in their 80s. You know, but the joy was that they got to be come together and be themselves and to do more themselves, get good at something, and then to take the rewards and take their bounty back to the community and to share it with them. And so the, the original word for ikigai was ikikai, which means life shell. Life shell. Yeah. And then as it morphed, it became ikigai, life's worth. And more people started to realize, well, you know what? If you have joy from being an ama diver, I have joy from being a carpenter, or I have joy in being a teacher, or I have joy in being a gardener, because all of this is about sharing. It's about having a gift to be able to do it. So uh, Ikigai essentially is the gifts that you have naturally and that you can share with others and enlighten their lives. It's basically, what do you love to do? What are you good at? What does the world need and what can you be rewarded for? Now, my definition of Ikigai differs from many others in that I say, what can you be rewarded for as opposed to what can you be paid for? And the reason for that, Leah, is because there are two types of rewards that we can have in our lives. One is extrinsic and the other is intrinsic. So the intrinsic rewards that we get from just sharing our natural gifts with other people are the things that actually make our lives much more worthwhile and much more meaningful and thoughtful and sincere. Extrinsic rewards could be anything from here, you did something good, so here's a lollipop, or here's a bag full of money, or here's a brand new car. But those things are fleeting in terms of uh, boosting your well-being. The other intrinsic rewards are so much more revealing and they last longer. Hmm. To hear you say 
will I find love? I was like, of course everyone thinks that. But I think I'd kind of assumed that not everyone is thinking, why was I born? I think it's a question that lies a little deeper in this under the surface than what we might admit. But, you know, we all want to live happy lives. We all want to do things that are worthwhile and meaningful. We just don't, for some reason, have the understanding of what to do. If you delve into that positive psychology world again, and you talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that pyramid of, you know, we need to eat every day and we need safety and security and we need connections with people and we need to do something that is worthwhile in our day so that we can identify and stroke our ego. The top of the pyramid, though, is self-actualization. And for the most part, people just stick with the bottom four because they understand how to do that. But the self-actualization part is something that we really have to put some thought and understanding into. I tie self-actualization into spirituality that I feel is secular. It's not necessarily that you have to follow something. It's a religion. It's that it's about understanding who you are. And as you do that, there are many tools, right? Really, I think, Leah, is once you can actually put your ikigai into words, then you know what the true north is for yourself. My ikigai, for example, is to delight. And that is something that I put a lot of time and energy into figuring out. And I know that I can do it a thousand times a day. I just have to be mindful of it, you know? So part of my reason for even wanting to be a guest here uh, today well, from your invitation is because I got the chance to delight you. Just to really make it clear for people, it is really about why we do what we do and not what people say about what we do. I feel like that's what you're saying. Yeah, this is uh, when you think of intrinsic, nothing else outside of you matters, right? I spoke with somebody the other day and her ikigai, we figured out through our session, is that her ikigai is to manifest wishbones. Now, that for like your listeners might say, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. But it really made sense to her because what she wanted to do is to have is to ensure that her wishbones, uh, the things that she does in life are evenly split so that they're rewarding for her and they're rewarding for other people as well. And she intended to do that on a very, very regular basis. So uh, and I've had other people who uh, another gentleman who says that uh, his ikigai is to break things. And that, again, might not have any bearing on the listeners, but for him, it meant that he has always had a fascination with just breaking things down uh, physically and even uh, intellectually and to, just to see how they work and then to put them back together again in ways so that he can see if it will still work. And like, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. There's a million different ways to be able to look at Ikigai if you just uh, attach the words to it. And as you say in the book, it's like people know when you found it, like you can feel it from the person who's found it and you can tell when someone has yet to. But my hope is that the stories of people who found it become more commonplace instead of people say, like, I could never get that or like, yeah, but you're just unique or you're one in a million. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Yes, I'm unique, but like, so are you. And your story is, yes, it's actually one in seven billion. Is there an easy way for you to share with people how to get there? Would you like to have a little session and try to figure out what your ikigai is? Yes. Okay. So ikigai really 
has four directions. We kind of think of it as a map, right? And once you kind of do these directions kind of one after the other, then you kind of start figuring things out. But the most important part of any journey on any map is the first step. And that is, uh, in Ikigai's case, what do you love to do? So let's explore that right now. What do you love to do, Leah? Uh, I love to learn. Um yeah, I love to. I've always been a reader. I remember when I was younger, I like won the reading contest for how many books you could read. So I can read a lot of different things. I've had to manage consuming versus digesting, as I call it. But I love reading. I love writing. I love conversation. So a moment like this is really meaningful for me. And I love to share with other people. Reading, writing, what I'm learning. a conversation and share. Let's choose one. Let's just choose conversation. What is it that that you feel when you do your conversation, when you're having talks with people? Part of the reason I meditated for two minutes before was it was important to me to feel really present, um, like I'm here. I'm not rushing past it. So I feel very present. I feel like I'm in this moment right now with you and my production team sitting outside and that we're all just in this moment together. And then when I leave, I feel full. So like when I looked at my calendar this morning, I had a bunch of stuff that I was doing before I left to come to the studio. But I knew that when I left the office today, I would feel full. And that just, I can't even, there's not a word, but there's a feeling in like my chest or my heart that's like, oh yeah, that's, it's going to be a good day is what I said to myself this morning. <laughs> really? Yeah. And what was behind the it's going to be a good day? Is is it it's a feeling or is it uh, actual reconnaissance or I think it's a recognition that whenever I feel I felt prepared for today, sometimes I am rushing and I'm the kind of person who squeezes a lot of things in because I love experiences and I love conversation, but I also I love my relationships. So I'm always kind of like it's a jigsaw of making sure I'm doing the things that matter most. And those happen to be a number of things. But so it was a little bit of reconnaissance that like I know when I'm present and I am ready for a conversation that I'm excited for, that it's going to be great. But it's also a directional thing where I'm aware that a lot of times what you say is also what you experience. And so I felt that feeling of like, ooh, I'm excited. And I just needed to also say to myself, it's going to be a great day. How much is excitement uh, part of your your hype of the day, I guess? <laughs> it's a big part. So me, I'd say like fun and excitement, fun, excitement and depth and like kind of a dance between those things. Although I feel like the deeper I go and the more I learn, the more fun I want to have. That makes sense. Mm. The lighter I get. When you say depth, is it uh, depth of experience or is it depth of intellect, uh, intelligence? Is it? I think it's depth of experience. It's like all I can kind of point to is like my stomach, but it's like the gut feeling of there is meaning in this. Like their depth for me is meaning and purpose. You know, there's a meaning behind this. And so these kinds of conversations I get to have really fulfill that piece. You lit up when you said meaning. Why is meaning yeah, and purpose so important in the way that you carry out your day? Because I know what it feels like not to feel like you have meaning. I know the experience of just chasing the extrinsic experiences that just satisfy you from moment to moment and being sort of addicted to those, especially in a city like New York, where you can get those as much as you want. 
I know how empty that can be, but how unaware of the emptiness a lot of people are and how scared they can be to admit it, because then it means you have to go find the intrinsic stuff. But when you find it, it's meaningful. It's life altering. And so like my own change I've gone through in the last four years has been oh, that's where it comes from, not all that other stuff. And I've continued to untangle that. It's interesting. You really do light up when you talk about the things that matter in life and the things that uh, provide you with depth and experiences and, and even relationships. And uh, you also said something about uh, directionality. So I wonder, uh, and I can't, please keep in mind, I can't prescribe you an ikigai, Right. But you've indicated that right off the bat, you said that reading, writing conversations are absolutely important to you. So I wonder if your ikigai, I'm just curious to see if this is something that resonates with you, if your ikigai might be to find fully. And who knows? Uh, the This might be something, I mean, you do definitely put uh, a lot of time and attention and energy into understanding more about yourself so that you can self-actualize and then share that with other people. Maybe that is even part of the raison d'etre of this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the find fully because I am deeply curious. Nothing's off the table. See what you find that's valuable. The thing I thought of when you said this is, I wonder if my ikigai is to expand and like for me, that encompasses my own expansion and my own development, but also then to expand beyond that to other people and be an expander for others who might go, oh, I, I can have um, or I can create what I want in life in a way that I thought I couldn't. Yeah. So it's interesting when you say to expand, this is a word that has come to you in a way that you understand. Right. And it's also uh, you understand that in a far different, more complex way than anything that I could ever throw at you. So this is a starting point, I would say, for you to be able to kind of think, what does to expand? What does that look like? And bear in mind that Ikigai has a million facets. It's like a jewel that you hold in your hand in front of you, like a like a skull, and you kind of go, I'm looking at it from this direction today, or I'm looking at it from this other direction in this second. And think of the million ways that you can expand. You know, you can expand your friendship circles. You can expand your mind. You can expand your heart. You can expand your your knowledge. You can expand your breathing, your chest. I mean, there's all sorts of different ways. Now, take it one step further and say to yourself, how do I share that with other people and how do they respond? Remember, Ikigai is like a boomerang. So whatever you throw out there, as far as your natural gifts, people recognize that and they go, man, you are good at that. And I want to see more of that. And it really resonates with me. And you get that in return. You go, oh, well, I feel pretty good about that. Thank you. I'm, uh, let's do it again. Yeah, you know, it made me emotional as you started saying the many ways to expand because those have been a lot of my experiences, even the breathing. My last week's episode was about breathing. <laughs> and it's literally about expanding your diaphragm so that you can access emotions you hadn't accessed before and changing this this breathing technique or experiencing this. So like each of these things have been part of my own discovery. And you get to do it as part of your job 
but it's also part of your work. I, I always say that there's, there's a big difference between your job and your work, right? Your job is something that you get paid for in exchange for your time. Your work is something that, that can create something even better and more expansive. Uh, so you are your work, right? So I always say focus on your work, not as much on your job. <laughs> part of my personality is also one that needs to derive a lot of meaning from my work. I'm going to roll for now with my icky guys to expand, but I'm also going to leave room for shifts there. Mm -hmm. um, one, one more suggestion, have, Leah, oh, yeah. just uh, just to, yeah. to kind of put a put a bow on it. Spend some time with the thesaurus. Go on thesaurus.com and just look up mm -hmm. expand because the there's going to be yeah. other words in there that are going to take you off on other tangents and you might find another word or another definition of something that just really, really resonates with you. So like I say, this is a seed. Tomorrow morning when you wake up and you go, well, my ikigai is to expand and that's what I'm going to do today. And if that really sits and provides you with a lot of excitement, then that's something to pay attention to. And we're off to a quick break. While we're away, what are you understanding about ikigai so far that could be applied to how you derive meaning? When we get back... Tim is going to tell us where people tend to get stuck most when it comes to defining their ikigai. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were FinTech developers. We'd been a FinTech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a FinTech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back with Tim Tomashiro on where it's easy to get stuck when it comes to discovering your ikigai. When you think about the people who are listening, you know, about Ikigai, doing, finding what you love, what you're good at, what the world needs, and what can reward you, where do you notice people get most stuck? On the first question. Really? What do you love? Yeah. What do you love to do? This is something that we are just not ever taught to think about, right? And again, it really boils down to the way that we are prepared in life, you know, we live at a time where there is vast amounts of knowledge and we still have the same basic education system where we go learn read and write and arithmetic, right? And maybe a little bit of social studies and a little bit of maybe some arts or something along those lines. We don't 
get the opportunity to go and to learn about what makes us tick and what brings us joy and what allows us to expand and what makes us individuals and that sort of thing. So if it sounds like I'm pointing a finger right directly at the education system, I kind of am. These kind of things have to be put into the school system at some point in time so that the kids can have a better running start at it so that once they graduate from high school, they're not kind of going, you know, the grownups are asking them, so what are you going to do now? And then they just have some sort of a, of a wild guess and they go, well, I guess I'm going to be a psychologist. I guess I'm going to be a lawyer. No, their work really, and our work throughout our lifetimes is to explore. We want to explore. We want to zero in on the things and the evidence that we gather throughout our lifetimes to be able to understand what makes us tick. And then uh, beyond that, the better we get to know ourselves, the more evidence that we have uh, for greater well-being and happiness. So um, I'm going to then say I'm the person coming to you going, I don't know how to figure out what I love, like what that question feels foreign what do you recommend? Well, there's a couple of ways you can do it. And it really, it really uh, means, the first one really means that you to, you to actually physically and mentally kind of commit to the fact that, okay, over this next 30 days, I'm going to go do things that I've never done before, but they've always fascinated me. You know, if you've ever been interested in a pottery class or rock climbing or, I don't know, archery or could be absolutely anything, go and do that thing and experience it. Because one of two things is going to happen out of that. One, you're going to try it and you're going to go, you know what? I really, really enjoy this. I want to do it some more and, and to explore deeper and then to pay attention to whatever offshoots come off of it. Or number two, you're going to go, well, I tried it. Didn't really uh, resonate with me. I don't know if I would ever try it again, but at least I said I can say that I did. The other interesting thing about the first approach is when you go try something, oftentimes what we learn is that it's not the specific thing. I use rock climbing as an example. You might not necessarily be interested in the physical act of climbing rocks, but unless you go and try it, you won't figure out that maybe what you're really interested in is the safety aspect of climbing rocks and uh, doing things uh, up high and taking care of other people and ensuring that they're being taken care of. So you might become like a rock climbing safety expert, even as part of your day, so that you can uh, pass on that ikigai or that skill or whatever the case, you can pass it on to other people as well. So the only way that we can ever find out is, is to explore. And we are very, very comfortable, especially in North America and Europe, uh, for not going out and expanding our horizons. I love this idea of digging deeper because I think that's where a lot of the rich stuff is. It's where the meaning is. It's where the information is. And we oftentimes just skim the surface and then go, whatever, I tried it. I never figured it out. Um, and perhaps that's the reason some people uh, give up on their ikigai or are afraid to approach it. It's like, what if I don't ever figure it out? Is there a time frame we have to figure out the ikigai by? Is there you know, a point at which we'll never find it? And does it change throughout our life? I joke that the, the time frame to find your ikigai is to make sure you do it before you die. But the earlier that you put more time and energy into yourself to be able to discover the things that are your gifts and that you can share with others or ikigai, then the longer you have in order to be able to, to do that. We do have stages in our adult life, though, that challenge us lots of the time. 
And, uh, you know, Carl Jung talks about the four stages of adulthood. And each one of those stages kind of has different parameters and different different things that we're kind of working on as human beings. But that doesn't mean that we can't explore uh, more deeply the kinds of things that we're interested in. So those four stages, if people don't know what they are, and these couple of them are my own interpretation, but they are athlete, warrior, senator, and spirit. So basically it's the, you know, athlete is when you're a, a young adult and you're physically able to do anything and your body is young and, and flexible and you got lots of muscles and you can do anything physically. And a lot of that has to do with just, you know, the basic notion of maybe procreating, you know, making babies or whatever the case. But that athlete part is something we all have to go through. Beyond that, you have the the warrior stage. And this is where you are still definitely physically able to do a lot of that stuff. But also you've discovered something that you want to really go and kick butt at. You know, you really want to become known uh, for for something and, and, and you'll fight in order to be able to do that. Right. So this is a very, uh, I don't want to use the word aggressive, but a very intentional part of life. I'm going to be a yeah, winner. And I I'm felt like show power from you power. as you were saying it. I was like, oh, yeah, it's, it's an intense, powerful stage. Yeah. The the stage that I'm in is uh, what I call the senator, and the senator uh, is where I know what I'm capable of doing, and I know I could do it over and over and over again. But what I'm more interested in is saying, what is it that I can do that can help you achieve what it is you need to achieve? And then beyond that uh, is the spirit, and that spirit uh, part is where we're just, you know, we've lived a full life, and we're kind of wondering, you know what? That was that was fun. I wonder what's next. You know, when you think in terms of uh, Ikigai, there's no reason why you can't do Ikigai in every single one of those things, you know. But you got to get outside of yourself and to know if I do something that I love and that I'm good at, how does it help other people? That cycle is absolutely imperative in all four of those stages is helping other people. Hmm. I think I'm definitely in the warrior stage. I'm like, I this is this work I'm doing is like I will fight for this. And I explain to people like I don't care if I worked at LinkedIn or not, I'd be doing this. I am so fortunate to be here to have a lot of the benefit of being here doing it. And but it's it is all of me, and I will do that, you know, until until I move into the senator stage, uh, perhaps. But um, you know, I think what trips a lot of people up when you first start talking, or when I first start talking about icky guy, is the reward. Or the money is really the way people talk about it. How do you, I know you mentioned this at the top, that you've changed this to reward. How do we approach this knowing like, but I have bills, but I have kids, but I'm busy and I have all these things. How am I going to add something in that's not going to give me the extrinsic experience of having money, but knowing that that is a huge part of our lives and our existence? Yeah, well, we all definitely need to have a roof over our head and food in our bellies every single day, right? However... We put maybe, I'm going to use the word inappropriate amount of attention on career and an inappropriate amount of attention on our, our, on our lives, right? We overwork and underlive, essentially. That's, that's a, a, a bit of a, I guess it's a, a little bit of a, a symptom of the times that we live in, you know? It hasn't always been like this. You know, back in the days when uh, when people were, you know, just kind of tending to their farms and maybe raising some sheep and taking care of their families and doing that sort of things, they had they had God 
to put themselves into, right? And that was the balance that they were able to kind of uh, to uh, to live their lives. However, now in this uh, day and age, we put such a strong emphasis on. So, what do you do? What do you do? Well, yeah. Tell me about your living, as opposed to tell me what you do to live, right? So, uh, in a roundabout way, I think that the reward part of ikigai intrinsically is something that we have that we can think about uh, from a well-being and a meaning point of view, but also to understand that there's no perfect career out there. That's why I've tried dozens of them. <laughs> but I've always brought my own ikigai to every single one of them. And uh, and as long as you're, you know, making enough to put to ensure that you're safe and that you're, you know, not malnourished and that you have a roof over your head, uh, if you can focus a little bit more attention on uh, your ability to live a fuller life, that's going to bring you more uh, well-being and happiness than anything. You know, you remind me of a conversation I had almost a year ago with Marcus Buckingham, who was one of the founders of Strengths Finders. Mm, um, I love that and, book. Uh, I know. And he has a new book called, or new as of last year, called Love and Work. And some of what they found in the research was that there's actually a threshold for the amount of love, or as he calls it, red threads you need in your work, which is sort of like what energizes you, what makes you come alive, what makes you light up. And it's 20% which is crazy. And so like I had no idea of that this was a percentage I would have assumed and I think we all assume in order to love our jobs or love our careers it has to be 100%. And that's a really it's a it's a confining belief, right? And he's like the threshold is just 20%. If you can find red threads meaning things you love with 100% of yourself, 20% of your time that you're doing your work, you actually can find love in your work. And that was, I, I think that's, um, I want to offer that as like a thread of hope to people who maybe are going, well, I'm not living my ikigai right now and could feel disappointed in themselves for not doing so. But as you just said, you've tried all these different careers, but you've brought your ikigai to each of those. Yes. And that is, that's an important thing to, uh, to emphasize. And that's what I really encourage the listeners to think about too. How can you bring your ikigai to your job? You know, there's this, there is a uh, concept called job crafting where you essentially bring all the best that you have uh, in life and you just bring it to your job. I have a friend uh, who was a a radio host here in Calgary, and she, without asking any of the top brass at uh, the radio station, she just started a volunteer organization. You know, she called it the the Do Crew, and uh, with the Do Crew, every day she's on the radio. She gets you know two hours a day, uh, five days a week, and she encourages people to sign up to be part of the Do Crew so they can go out and do things like for Habitat for Humanity or maybe harvest a community garden or whatever the case. But essentially, she just brought more of herself into this role. And it was such a huge success that now there are do crews all over the country with this particular uh, radio station. But don't ask for permission. Just just start bringing more of your kindness and your compassion and your skills and your ability to be able to show people how to do macrame or pottery or whatever the case. Bring it to work. Bring it to your job and start sharing it. And uh, you'd be surprised at how much more meaning your job has and more connections and more compassion that comes uh, your way and that you can share with other people as well, just by doing more you. 
You know, it's funny. That's the only reason that this podcast exists. Like I was not I was not this was not an open role for a podcast titled In the Arena. This was something that um, at the time, four years ago, a co-host and I said, we have to do this. And like for me, you know, I, I have been I didn't even get to do this full time until a year from from a year a year ago. So I was doing this as a quote unquote side hustle um, as an entrepreneur at LinkedIn and just had no idea what it was going to become. I had I didn't even imagine there would be a possibility of me sitting in the studio right now doing this. I thought that I would just keep doing it because it was it meant so much to me. And I remember, you know, I, I was throughout this process of of being at LinkedIn. I've been here for 11 years. There have been two times in the last three years before I got this role that I was either um, asked to interview for something or offered a role um, because I was the right fit for it. And I said no. And I remember I asked a mentor of mine at the time because I was approaching this role of becoming a manager uh, in a totally different world and a different segment. Managers. And I know. <laughs> I always say, like, I know a lot of people who are great leaders that don't have the title of manager and a lot of managers who are not good leaders. Yeah. So, like, that's a whole different conversation. I but hope, I hope we, we, know, we don't get uh, the hate email from me being a hard on managers and whatnot. But really, no. as, you, <laughs> as you know, you know, compassion goes a long way uh, in terms of managing people. I go with the idea that. If we set people up for success and align success to the right criteria, people can become great leaders. And I think we get really stuck on the day-to-day, as you and I are talking about jobs. You get stuck on the day-to-day of what you're supposed to be doing and less on the overarching work of what it means to be a leader. So so you said um, that this you, started off as yeah. a side hustle. And, it's a side hustle. And the side hustle, there's a good reason why people start side hustles. It's because it brings light to their own interests and it brings meaning to them and it brings joy to them. But aside from that, especially if you think of intrinsic rewards, but uh, there's a reason why we start side hustles because it has the potential of turning into a full-time hustle. So that's, that's, a, that's something to definitely pay attention to in terms of your own ikigai is that if you can start a little side hustle about something that you're passionate about, that's, that's probably a pretty good thread for you to follow. I'm curious, because you are now, uh, you know, a Buddhist monk as of last year, what part of spirituality comes into this that you can share that's meaningful for people who are operating in this world of, if I push and work and fight and like do everything I'm supposed to do, then I'm going to get the reward versus a sort of like surrender combined with effort? (laughs) Yeah. Let me just indicate I have disrobed as a monk, but the program that I was in, I was a monk for that period. So it was a month long program ordaining in English. And uh, so, but I've disrobed now, but you know, one of the uh, aha moments that uh, I was able to gain during my monkhood was happened on the eve of my ordainment. And it was a massive learning for me. And it's something that I take forward to this uh, on a, on a daily basis. Essentially what, what life is really all about and the only thing that we have any control over at all in our lifetime is our own happiness. So if you think of happiness as a word written on a sheet, you'll notice that there is an I right in the middle of happiness. I am the I in happiness. And I stay right there centered. 
right in the middle of happiness. There are three things that pull us away from happiness, though. They're called the defilements in Buddhism. That is anger. Anger, if you think of anger as something that can pull you away from staying centered in the world of happiness, that's, that's uh, emotions and hate and, and uh, a worry and all sorts of different things. They can pull you away from just being happy. The other one is greed. Oh, greed. Greed is uh, one of those things. Yeah, well, we want more and more and more and more. And that, in fact, more greed and more stuff doesn't actually bring you more happiness. It just brings you more misery. And the third one is something that we call delusions. Delusions are fixed sets of ideas and identity and political beliefs and religious beliefs and all these things that we've picked up over time that says that this is who I am and there's nothing that's going to change me. Those actually bring us a lot of pain. So if you think of that word happiness again, written onto a piece of, of paper and you circle the, the letter I in the middle and you think of three arrows that are taking you away from happiness, anger, greed, and delusions. Every time that we experience one of those things, there's one thing that we have to do in order to be able to have a greater calm and peace. And that is to just do another word that has the letter I in the middle of it. And that is to just be still. Don't, you don't have to move when you feel angry. You can recognize it. You can notice it and not do anything about it. You can just go, ah, I'm angry. I'm feeling uh, burned about something. I'm feeling jealousy or whatever the case. Just notice it and don't do anything about it. Just stay where you are. Same with greed. Oh, I want that new set of AirPods or I want uh, you know that new Ferrari or whatever the case. Just notice it. Don't do anything about it. And especially with delusions. You know, when you recognize something about yourself, oh, you know, this is my political belief and I'm not going to move away from it. If you just recognize, oh, I have this belief, but I don't really have to do anything about it. You can just remain still and be and just stay in your own happiness. So that's a big, profound lesson that came to me in a millionth of a second on the eve of my ordainment that uh, I'm taking forth into uh, into my own life. And that has brought me a lot of joy and a lot of peace. Uh, and something that I'll, uh, I'm, I'm writing a new book right now that's called Part-Time Monk. And it's about how anybody can be a monk part-time if you just kind of think in terms of these lessons. Oh, I can't wait for that. Um, the I am the I in happiness just brought, that was like so emotional for me. I wrote it as you were saying it and circled it and drew the arrows. And I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's profound. Um, I love simple ways to understand concepts that often can get um, complex and then push people away. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing that. For people listening who are like, I'm inspired by this or I'm curious about this, I first want to say, like, I I personally had this experience of going in and out of Ikigai when I first learned it. I believe that things come to you in your own time. Um, and so you may hear about this today and need to walk away from it. You may hear about it today and be ready to explore it. You may hear about it today and resist it and go, I don't like that. That's not possible. I think it's all part of this journey. Um, and so my experience was this one of coming in and out of believing that this was possible. But once I had the evidence, as you mentioned earlier, that this was something that was possible, and not only that it was possible that I could be rewarded extrinsically for it, but that I could feel this deep 
grounding sense of meaning and purpose by pursuing this, I do it with all of my heart. And so I, I, I say all that to say, like, I so hope that people listening feel like there's a possibility here, no matter how trapped you might feel in certain scenarios, that there's some little crack um, where, you know, I, I actually did. Uh, you mentioned exploring hobbies. I um, I did a Kintsugi class during COVID because I've always been curious about Kintsugi, but I wanted to find someone in who was based in New York, who was Japanese, who could teach the art of Kintsugi because I was like, I am going to the source and I'm excited to learn from someone who's actually fully done this and knows the history and is deep in it. So I did. And it was a, I think it was four weeks of classes. And I had, a, I was like cracking cups and bowls in my apartment um, and then, you know, putting them back together. And it's this idea of, you know, where the cracks are is where, you know, the light comes in or where, in it's this case, beauty. where the gold filling comes in. Yeah. Correct. It's the beauty. What would you say to people to help them and meet them wherever they are when it comes to Ikigai? Well, it's either going to resonate with you or it isn't. Uh, more often than not, it does resonate with people because they have a tendency to want better things in life and, you know, and really and real true happiness, I guess. Happiness doesn't always come in identity. Happiness often comes in uh, sharing. Uh, and I've said it many, many, many times, you know, uh, my ikigai is to delight. And that's something that I do not in order to be able to earn a living, but to have a living. You know, to have to experience life uh, in its in, in its fullest, you know, take some chances. You know, if you're not happy in your career where you are, I can't say quit your job and go and try something else. No, just bring more of yourself to that job. Maybe that's maybe that's the thing that you're missing. You know, um, you know, it's a. Uh, Jobs aren't always just specifically the things that are written in the job description. Do do other things that have to do with uh, with yourself in 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 the job that you do. Ikigai can be an important part of retirement, and that is that is definitely you know if you have some sort of a meaning and you do what you love and what you're good at, you can bring all this experience that you have in the world and share it with people. Not for money, but just because it's good for you and it's good for the community. That's going to bring a lot of purpose to you. Yeah, that's the intrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. um, all right, Tim, I'm going to have you complete these three statements. The first is better humans are. I asked ChatGPT to create a brand new word for me that focuses on the same experience as equanimity in the world of Buddhism. Equanimity is essentially a space that you can live in. It. It's a, an experience that you can have and you can nurture and uh and, and, and create where it, you just stay in the middle of everything, right? But anyways, equiluminance, though, is this is the definition that it came up with, is the state of radiant common balance that arises from cultivating inner peace and acceptance. So better humans are equiluminant. Better work is? Meaningful. And a better world has? peace. Mm, I love that. Um, you know, when you said equiluminant, I was thinking, um, like, I think I almost thought of like omnipresence. So I was thinking omni, like, and light, like light all over, light, light within, light all over. Yeah. It further uh, described it. It says equilumens is a word that captures the idea of a bright and radiant inner peace. One that illuminates our lives from within and helps us to navigate the ups and downs of life with grace and resilience. Wow. 
you have completed your ikigai for our conversation. I am delighted and so touched. Like, I, I just so appreciate the time. So thank you. I've enjoyed it. That was Tim Tomashiro, author of How to Ikigai, Lessons for Finding Happiness and Living Your Life's Purpose. Check out his Skillshare class on the topic in our show notes. He is really incredible. One big thing before we go, I believe this is the most important work you can do in your life for yourself and only for yourself. Sure, what results in your interactions and in your world will be incredible, I can attest to that, but it will be nothing in comparison to how you feel about yourself as a human being and your worth and your meaning in this world. If this conversation made you clearer on how you want to find more meaning and create it in your life, why not share it with someone else who might benefit from changing their perspective through Ikigai? And help other people like you find our show by leaving us a rating before you go. Even better, write a one-sentence review telling me how understanding Ikigai has been beneficial to you. And as always, you can find me on LinkedIn, writing and sharing about human potential and meaningful living. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Franz Bowen, Alexis Ramdow, and Rafa Fariha. Asaf Drone is our sound engineer. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Courtney Coop is head of original programming at LinkedIn. Dave Pond is head of news production. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for being here with me, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>